Welcome to the Springs. My name is John. I serve as pastor here. And whether it's your first time or you're here with spring break or, man, you've been coming for a long time, we are really glad that you're joining us today. As you can see from that video, where we are today is we are continuing to work our way through the book of James. We're continuing to see what what we believe is is God's people, it's all Christians are, hey, what God has said what he's told us. And why I'm so excited about today is that we're gonna talk about something. That in every area of our life, as we grow in it, as we grasp it, as we fight for it, as we cling to it in every area of our life, it will make things better. And in the same way, the inverse of it is true. As much as you and I neglect this one thing, as much as you and I neglect to pursue it, to fight for it, and to cling to it. It won't bring peace. It'll bring pain. But before we jump into it, pray with me. Father, I do. I thank you for today. I thank you for the chance to gather, to come, and to talk about you. God, I ask that you do what only you can do, and that's change hearts, which start with mine. May I leave here more in love with you. For folks who know you and love you, may they leave here more in love with you. For folks who are wrestling or got dragged or are here on vacation just looking for something, may they consider you in a different way. May they see your goodness in a different way. So if you would, guys, in your seat, if you have a faith or a belief in God, I'd ask that you pray and take the next 10 seconds and pray that God would use this time. One of the things I'm never shy to do is asking folks to pray for me. Would you please use this time where I'd be helpful and my words would be God's? Father, we thank you. We love you. And it's a privilege to come before you. We're asking for all of this in your name we pray. Amen. Well, y'all, good morning. The thing I really want to spend time talking about today, it's wisdom. It's wisdom. But before we do that, I got to see this really played out through a friend of mine, not really recently, but maybe a few months ago. But before I share with that, I want to ask you guys, what was the car that you wanted growing up? Like some of you, you're either car people or you're not. I share those and some of you are like, I don't care. As long as it has four wheels and it goes, I'm good. And then some of you, man, you could tell me year, make, model, trim level, aftermarket modifications you'd want to add to it, what it looked like, the sound it would make, the muffler that you would put on it. And you could outline everything to it. For me, growing up, it was right around the car, I'm trying to think, the one I've always wanted, Cadillac specifically an Escalade. 
I know some of you guys are like, huh, materialism a problem of yours? Maybe. Judgment a problem of yours? Maybe. No, I'm kidding. Right? No, seriously. I, so I grew up in Atlanta in this kind of suburban town, but this connection to Atlanta, right as like every, especially early 2000s, rapper was coming on. Atlanta was this thing to where multiple times we sung about everything from Hummers to Cadillacs. Cadillac Escalade with a chrome down nose with the navigation arrow headed straight to your spot. Now, if you know the rest of that verse, don't sing it. Right? But what I mean by that is there was this thing of, man, it's a Cadillac. And that's where, if I went to go get a Cadillac, I wouldn't get like, and if you own one of these blessings to you, like, like the SRX, it's like this midsize SUV on a car platform. Great car. Love you. Respect you. No, man, I'm talking like Escalade, ESV. It's the extended one, like the platinum edition where the side rails, like they come down. Like when you just open the door, they're not just down. You open the door and they come down, Right. Bunch of y'all are now thinking, pretty sure the Bible says don't covet. I'm working on it, part of confession. But no, that's been this car of always loved, always wanted. Will I get it? Probably not, but maybe, right? I share that because recently a buddy of mine, he had the chance to potentially get one. Right? His wife works for a company where she'd done so well, been successful in it, they give this perk the perk of the company is once you reach a certain level of, of sales or some number, they begin to pay you to go own a Cadillac. There was three deals for it. It had to be less than three years old, right? Had to be a Cadillac and it had to be white. If you're wondering which type of white, I would personally choose diamond white. It is different than a flat white, but white. I can remember him coming and he shared this with me and immediately, man, like my wheels just start turning in my head. Like I'm in community group with this guy, right? As he's sitting there saying, man, here's this privilege. Here's the stewardship that we can now do. Like he'd owned a great car before. They were paying a lease payment on it to immediately, even he, and this was even without me, even he starts to think, okay, well, I'm already paying this much, right? And then they're going to give me this much. So I could take my car payment, add to it the money they're going to give me, and then, man, I could go and I could get that caddy. I could get that full Escalade. And then he starts talking about, well, man, I do. I have three kids and there's a back row and a seat. And we got a dog. Do I ever need to go somewhere? We have plenty of space. Really, it's a safety issue. It's a function issue. Right? He just like me, man. As soon as I start rationalizing, I'm headed to a place of trouble. But man, he, he had something in that moment. Well, yeah, his heart, it started down that path, but he had something to where he hit pause. So he stopped and he began to really think through and he did something after that that I love. He did something after that that this is how God's people respond. This is what we do. He stopped and he started writing an email. In his email, he broke it out where he shared, hey, here's how much I currently owe on this car, his current car. Here's the privilege of the resource that's going to come in from this job. Here's what this really looks like for me and my family. I could go, I could sell this, I could pay that off, I could go, and he gave three options. I could maximize it and get the caddy that I want. Right? I could kind of basically stay right around where I'm at and pick a different Cadillac, one that I didn't like as much, but met the criteria to where we could get the income. Or I could go for a great car a great car, be able to pay off 
be able to pay off the car that I've been, that I bought in the least. And at the end of the month, make money on the deal. He took time as his heart began to pull him towards the Cadillac of his dreams to stop and seek wisdom. He drafted this email. He outlines it. And who does he hit, hit send to? His community group. A community group is a group of followers of Jesus Christ committed and connected to you that help you evaluate the things of life, that help you pursue wisdom because you and I left to our own devices. We do not make great decisions. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. In the abundance of counselors, plans succeed. And he ends this email and he says, what do you guys think I should do? Imagine that. Grown man grown family, sending out the situation of his finances to another group of people and saying, will you help me? I know where my heart is prone to go. That's wisdom. That's faithfulness. That's an understanding of what the love of Jesus Christ does for you in a way that changes you. The the reason I start with that story is, again, as I shared today, I want to spend time talking about wisdom. Why are we going to talk about it? Because that's exactly where we are in the text. James, the little brother of Jesus, he's going to write to you and he's going to write to me appealing on behalf of wisdom is a mark of a faithful Christian. And really, as he sets it up, he's going to draw this compare and contrast theme throughout the text. He's going to say there's two types of wisdom. First type, divine, godly, holy, divine wisdom. The second type, and I'm going to use his language, demonic, selfish, unholy, ungodly. And so what James is going to do is he he appeals to you and I to be marked by wisdom. He's going to draw this compare and contrast. We're going to say wisdom has two paths. As he calls us to a sense of holiness, he's going to say, which path do you want to walk? Is he pleads, walk by faith. The reason I think this matters so much is wisdom is something that is meant to mark Christians. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are intended, you are meant to be known as wise. So what does godly wisdom mean? look like. Wisdom, if you spent time with us at the end of last year, during Advent, we did this series here called All I Should Want for Christmas. We talked about things that we as God's people should be praying, should be asking for during the season of Advent. But it was things that many of us wouldn't think to ask for. And one of the themes that we spent time talking on in December of last year is what should we ask for? A fear of the Lord. We, we based it on Proverbs 1-7, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. Right? We spent time talking through how if wisdom is fear, what does fear mean? Because people think of fear and they almost picture that God's calling for this sense of like a scared child around an unstable parent that they don't know when they'll lash out. And we just spent the whole time talking through that is not what it means to fear God. What it means to fear is a sense of reverence, submission, and awe. It's a heart that pleads, your will be done, not mine. That believes you're a good father. I can trust you. Will you help me? 
I share that because what James is really expounding on, especially as James, many would say, it's wisdom literature in the New Testament. What he's really expounding on It's this idea of what is godly wisdom. And I'm going to put two things before you right at the beginning. Two summary ideas of godly divine wisdom. It's promotion of God. It's making God everything in your life. Not because you're supposed to, but because you want to. It's promotion of God. The second theme, it's dependence on God. It's saying in your life, in your actions, God, I need help. It's having the sense of faith to write the email. To say, God, what would you have me do? It's your resources. Yes, you give good gifts. There's nothing wrong inherently with a Cadillac. But man, my heart can reach into. And my heart can corrupt even good things. What would you have me do? That's godly wisdom. I heard a pastor share once, Christians ask the wrong question, right? Christians, we we tend to ask the wrong question. We ask the question, hey, is this right or is this wrong? And we have this binary focus. It's black and it's white. Here's why that's helpful. There's many things in scripture where it's plainly right and wrong. One of the things we've said many times, we will be firm where scripture's firm and flexible where it's flexible. Have you ever wondered, though, how do you navigate areas of flexibility well? It's wisdom. It's wisdom. So how do you and I come and approach this when we have kids asking really hard questions? We have neighbors who don't believe coming and seeking to understand. We have colleagues at the workplace who come and ask questions like, wait, wait, if you say your God is good, why would he allow this? Where we have in our own lives the choice to come and say, hey, do I finance the next car? Do I pay it off in cash? Do I refinance the house? Do I not? The Bible speaks to money. The Bible speaks to debt. But the Bible's free on whether or not you buy a lake house. Why you buy it, it may speak too explicitly. But how you get there, flexible. So how do we navigate the flexible? With wisdom. The thing I found myself asking myself this week consistently is, do people come to me for wisdom? Because here's the other thing, especially one of the things that's that's a mark there is here's what we tend to think of as wisdom. The older sage, the one who's walked much of life and has experienced many things. Here's what's true. Life, age, and experience can be an absolute teacher. It can train you. It can grow you in godliness. It really can. There's a reason throughout scripture, there's this yielding to gray hair is glory and coming under the older folks and entrusting the care and saying, I respect and I honor. Experience matters. But here's the question. I don't have gray hair. I'm younger than what many of you probably at least at the beginning felt comfortable with. Yet what would scripture say? Can I be wise? Can you be wise? Yes. Where does wisdom come from? It comes first from knowing and having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The second then comes from rightly using and instructing in accordance with God's word. 
Where does it flow from there? Doing so in the midst of a community of believers who can come and hang out with me and say, hey, John, I think you want the Cadillac just for Cadillac's sake. Is your heart creeping there? It's not just, is it right or is it wrong? The better question is, is it wise? The church far too often is just known for trumpeting what's right and what's wrong. How are we known for in our communities of neighbors coming and saying, hey, I may disagree with you, but man, your insight, honestly, I gotta appreciate it. How are we known for that? Are people known for us in our office where folks come and they walk into the door and they just drop bad news, tempers are raised, there's emotionally escalating the moment. Are we known for in the moment being peaceable, gentle, sincere, impartial? That's what God would have. The other reason why I think this matters, and this is true whether you believe in Jesus or not. The other thing that we face, and this is more specific now to, to American culture. The other thing that we face in a different way than we ever have before, information overload. Like you saw this big swing now to where social media and emails, and we want every icon and every awareness and articles to where now many of us, when we go to use the restroom, what was once this moment of quiet solitude and silence, now you just pull out a phone. Why? Because we're so habituated to intake information. That's not wrong. But what we're beginning to see now is how we as a society, we have access to more knowledge, we have access to more teaching, we have access to more training than ever before. Yet, we crumble so consistently. One of the most often researched things on Google starts with how to. You see, wisdom, it's not just knowledge, it's not just knowing something. It's the right application of knowledge. It's how knowledge shows itself in life. There's a reason why discipleship, especially now intergenerationally, where before it took on much more of this characteristic, hey, may I train you in truth, walk you in truth. Now, more so than ever, it takes on this feel of, I almost feel as if I'm re-parenting. We are hungry for how we apply things. You're hungry for wanting to do what is right. That's true of people, whether they believe in what I believe, or perhaps you sit there and you disagree. The reason I think this matters for you is wisdom, is how you dictate that. And why I hope that you think about and you focus and you consider that, is at the end of the trail of wisdom, it ends with a man. And his name's Jesus. He changed my life and he wants to change yours. So where are we gonna learn about this? It's James chapter three. If you got a Bible, you, you can start turning there. It's James chapter three. We're gonna be looking at verses 13 through 18. While we talk through Christians, we are called to be marked by wisdom. And specifically this text, we're, we're gonna look at two ideas. Wisdom, it originates in two places. It comes from, its source is of two places. The second thing we're gonna talk about is wisdom overflows in two ways. If you haven't been with us to kind of catch you up on where we are in the text, James, the younger brother of Jesus, he's writing this letter to these believers, right? These former Jewish, now, now Jewish Christian believers, reminding them, here's what faithfulness looks like. It is this strong exhortation to faithfulness. It's this call to take 
holiness seriously, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Last week, we talked about how when you come to know Christ, one of the things that changes, that transforms is the way you speak, how you use your tongue, how the tongue is this powerful tool that can either bring life or death. This week, what we're talking about is wisdom, right? And wisdom, really how wisdom's influence guides much of that. If you're here with us next week, what we'll keep talking about, it's worldliness, conflict, and selfishness. And James, right here to bridge this theme of what we say matters to the selfishness that creates conflict, he puts this bridge that links the gap. It's wisdom. That's why I shared at the beginning, this is something that as you and I grasp, it improves every area of life. As you and I grow in, it brings blessing to every area of life. And if we don't, as we'll see next week, it brings conflict, strife, division, and disunity. If you got a Bible, we're going to read verses 13 through 15. So James chapter 3, 13 through 15. James is going to start with this rhetorical question. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. The first theme I want to talk about as we look at how wisdom is called to be a mark of followers of Jesus Christ. It's the reality that wisdom originates in two places. It comes from two places. We've already introduced the theme, and James is setting it up here. Divine, coming from above. Or demonic. The first idea that James starts out with there in verse 13 is he's trying to prove. It's like this question, right? Where if I came and I was hanging out with you and your community group or your family, and I just asked the question, hey, who here is wise? It's like an awkward question. You don't quite know how to answer. I think James is using it in that way where he's saying, who is wise? And then he gives the answer. Let them show it by their good works in the meekness of wisdom. The answer to the question, who is wise? He says, no one needs to speak up. No one should need to say anything. Because in the room, what folks would have known, and especially folks gathering then, they would have known is, oh man, his life is different. Her life is different. Man, I saw the way that they responded to that terrible news. That was, that was different. Man, they, they seem to just care for and parent their kids different. And the whole time as they see this different outcome, this love being demonstrated, they don't make it about them. They don't brag. They don't self-inflate. Wisdom is demonstrated through humility. Humility is a key component of wisdom, right? Because if, if you remember when we talk about what is divine wisdom, it's, it's promotion of God. It's dependence on him. You can't do that apart from a heart that says, Lord, I need you every hour. I need you. It's marked by humility. And then he begins to switch where he sets up this idea 
right, what is there? Divine wisdom, and then there is demonic wisdom. Demonic wisdom, I'd best summarize it for you, is it's not promotion of God. It's, it's promotion of self. It's not dependence on God. It's independence. It's saying what my heart has said many times. I don't need you. I don't want you. I've got this. That's, that's the prevailing theme in many ways of culture. I came across, and even studying this this week, there was a Stanford research article that came across through different, different empirical research studies. And the headline of this article that they're citing was, America, finally proven is the most selfish society. And it came about because there was this fundamental difference and specific to the American Western culture, this fundamental difference where if you want to motivate Americans co- corporately, this isn't true of every individual person, right? This is, this is true of believer, non-believer, all that kind of stuff corporately. The key takeaway from the research was you motivate them not by saying we, but by saying me. If you want to motivate, on average, general Americans, you motivate them by saying, here's what's in it for you. Not, here's the benefit of the collective good. I share that because I really do think that's at the epicenter of man's wisdom. How do I make much of me? I'll use one more example, and then we're going to walk through this text. Uh, If you have Netflix, anybody here else got Netflix? Right? Okay. But Netflix, they do this recent thing where it came out where right at the start, there's like this trailer banner video that as soon as I turn it on, they just start promoting whatever's next. Right? This trailer came on for this documentary called American Meme. M-E-M-E. American Meme. I can remember seeing that. And it's not a show that I watched because the trailer, it just would have taken my heart to unhealthy places. But you essentially, you understood enough from the trailer, and the premise was interesting. I did research after. But, but the documentary, it essentially shows this. Who are the most famous people in our culture? Right? Who are the people that are well-known, promoted, visible to where you know their name, I know their name? And it follows them. And it talks about how their number one job, and they self-describe, is self-promotion. How they're desperate to remain Relevant, desperate to make much of self. And it's, and it's amazing because this documentary shows what the Bible would have said was true before they ever started it. These people obsess over, do they have 30 million, 40 million, or 50 million followers? How much did they make money in the box office this year? How well did they do at the Oscars at this time? Self-promotion. There's this theme that they are all Deeply lonely. That's because you and I, we weren't meant to self-promote. We're not meant for man's wisdom. We're meant for God's. James shows us that here. He shows us that. He tells us, what is this demonic wisdom? Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy. Bitter, we saw this word a few weeks ago. It literally means, um, it's wa- it was described of water that you couldn't drink. It was meant to bring life, and literally, if you intake it, it would make you sick. Jealousy just being, it's envy. What does this produce? An envy. What is self-promotion based on? Comparison. Comparison robs more people of joy. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, man, selfish, it was fun getting to see that word. I, I didn't know this. That was a word. What it means is factious rivalry. Here, here's why that matters. This was the word that people often used to describe politicians in the first century. How they would come and try to create factious rivalry. They would come for the purposes of self-gain and divide groups. Why? Because in division, there could be self-promotion. They could put them head. They could be in charge of one group rather than the other. Do you see how demonic wisdom, it's this separating, divisive, selfish. It makes your world about you. And ultimately, at the end of that world, there's no place more lonely. There's no place more lonely. Selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not be boast and false to the truth. He's saying there, your heart being the guiding will, what leads you. Don't come and say that that is wise to make it about you. Don't come and claim that. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Here's his contrast. Above there, your Bible may say, this is not wisdom that comes from heaven. But it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There's this theme in those words there. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There's this progression from bad to worse. Or earthly meaning worldly, right? It's not from God. It's from the culture of the world. Unspiritual, the word there really, it's more closely linked to natural. The word's translated natural or sensual, right? It's almost as if James is writing one of the things that entraps people in man's wisdom, not God's wisdom, is the culture of the world. And then below that, the nature, it's the flesh that we all still have. Because here's what's true. If you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new heart. You're made new. You're set free. You're no longer a slave. But you and I, we still have a temptation to go back to a life we know that won't bring peace, won't bring joy, won't bring blessing, won't bring wisdom. We have a tendency to return. And the final thing, he just says it flat out. Demonic. What does he mean by demonic? Demonic. Right, last week, if you saw, and you can check it out, it's verse five up above where we talked about our words. It says that words, when not yielded to Christ, they come across as though set on fire by hell. Evil. He's saying, what is the ultimate end of man's wisdom? What is the ultimate end of when I am at the center of my world? evil. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And he introduces this idea of, but instead of demonic, there is divine. And what is divinity marked by? It's a wisdom that's demonstrated in meekness. Meekness, the great thing about meekness, I've always loved it. It is strength under control. I remember the first time I heard or to learn about that word. There was this pastor and he taught me, there's this word picture for the word meekness. It would have literally been as if you went out and you found this strong, vibrant, powerful stallion. You were in some way able to get a rope around the stallion, brought the stallion into a pen. Why? To be tamed. And then that stallion, once broken, once tamed, then could be ridden for the glory of the stallion, for the good of others. And what controlled the stallion? This massive, powerful animal. This tiny little metal bit 
in its mouth. Strength under control. Wisdom doesn't look like false humility. Wisdom does not look like allowing people to walk all over you is a doormat. Wisdom looks like considering others is more significant than yourself. What wisdom looks like yielding to the reality that you left to your own decisions. Sometimes you'll be great. More often than not, it won't be everything you want it to be. That you and I, we're not here for us. We're here for God. That you and I, we can't depend on self. We depend on God. But when we don't do that, what is the end of man? It's a demonic wisdom. I saw an example of this a month ago, and you see it consistently, and this is the conversation that continues on, right? I, I saw this when it comes to the national discussion about abortion. Where does life begin? What, what does scripture have to say? And here's what I know is true. When I became a Christian, when I understood God's word, it transformed my entire view, position, and opinion on this topic. So when you come to engage it, you have to engage it from the stance of I know wisdom in a different way. I've met him. His name is Jesus. But that's not a wisdom that's celebrated. Many of us would have seen, perhaps if you watch the news, New York State legislator passed a bill that allowed for abortion all the way up until the end of the third trimester. The New York State legislator came together. They celebrated. It was as if this party and wonderful moment had happened. They lit up the World Trade Tower pink. Right after that takes place in New York, there's this building momentum where Rhode Island, state legislator there, they want to come and want to do the same thing. And then you see this building momentum in Virginia. The state legislator comes and wants to minimize and allow all the way up to the point of delivery, the removal of not three providers needing to be a part of a decision, but one provider. And the next day, the governor of Virginia, and man, I don't know him. He hasn't asked forgiveness from the statement. But man, I don't know him. But he gets on a radio show and someone begins to ask, okay, well, if in delivery, if you're a proponent of this bill, if you're a proponent of this law, what are you saying? What happens if the baby in the midst, the, the one that you want to terminate the life of, what happens if it's being delivered? And he would say, if it's under the banner of, there's the danger of physical health to the mom or emotional health to the mom, being a very blanket statement that many people, not just Christians say, that is far too wide of a proverbial loophole. What if they want to terminate life, but it's mid-delivery? And the governor there calmly, quietly, a man who literally was a physician, went to medical school, said, no, here's what we would do. The baby would be delivered the baby would be kept comfortable. And then the provider would have a discussion with, with the mom or if the father's involved with the mom and father, and then they'd make a decision. The decision would be based on, do they resuscitate the child or not? That means out of womb, you can choose. You can choose. Do you allow the child to die by medical neglect? Now, if what you're thinking is here is, hey, why are you going political in the midst of this? Theological is not political. 
Wisdom is the knowledge of God applied to the world. You are living as righteous followers of Christ. He made you righteous. What does that mean? We are called to live rightly. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Church, you and I are meant to have divine wisdom in the midst of a world that is self-centered and ultimately demonic wisdom. That is demonic wisdom. It's not loving to not graciously and respectfully, passionately disagree. We are meant to be marked by wisdom. It originates in two places. It's either divine and it's coming from God in a yielding to the Holy Spirit where because of a love for Christ, we become like Christ or it's demonic and this can happen. When I mean demonic, I don't mean that like a Christian can become possessed by a demon. Don't, don't overdo that in your mind. But what it's saying, it's the same thing as a tongue. It's those set on fire by hell. It, it's ultimately, demonic is my will be done. My will be done versus your will be done. It comes from two places. Let's jump back into the text. We're going to pick it back up there in verse 14, and we're going to read all the way down through 18. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, he, he's calling us back to the verse before, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The second thing we have to look at is you and I are called to be marked by wisdom is that wisdom overflows in one of two ways. It overflows in one of two ways. The general place that, that I'm going to put before you that overflows, it either brings pain or peace. Pain or peace. Let, let me show you that. How, how does demonic wisdom overflow? James says it's earthly, it's unspiritual demonic. We talked about that. He doubles down on it, brings jealousy and factious division, selfish ambition, ambition and then he puts forward it creates disorder. Disorder, it's literally confusion. It was used of if a military all of a sudden got turned on itself and there's friendly fire in the fog of war and they're just shooting at anything. Disorder. And it's almost as if he knows he's talking to people like me, right? He's talking to people like me who as I read this text, I stop and I think to myself, but it can't be that bad. James, man, you are so intense. You are so Harsh, it can't be that bad. And he adds this catch-all term. And every vile practice. It's this wordplay. Do you remember at the beginning, in the last theme, we talked about good works shown in meekness. Practice, it's the same word for works. Vile, it's the compare and contrast of goodness overflowing in peace. But instead, pain 
So at the root of every broken decision that I make, at the root of what was leading my life before I became a follower of Jesus Christ, it was broken wisdom, a broken understanding of my relationship with God and what that looks like. What did a legacy like that, a legacy of pain, look like for me? I was the ultimate decider, and man, I'm going to date how I want to date. I was the ultimate cider, and hey, I'll go as far with somebody as I'll go as I want to go as far. Hey, I'll drink however much I want. I remember a buddy of mine, and I would go to church with him. He came to me one night, and he said, hey, man, I just want to ask you as an accountability friend, how many are you going to drink tonight? I know you're trying to cut back on that. How many are you going to drink? And I can remember looking at him and just saying uh, mean things, uh, and then saying, I'll drink however much I want to drink. That night, specifically, I remember, was one marked by tremendous pain, regret. Or I spent the next morning having to go ask forgiveness from two friends for doing things that I didn't even remember doing. That is the legacy of wisdom. It's this theme that you see more and more. Well, hey, if I don't really like my marriage, enjoy my marriage, feel fulfilled by my marriage, I'll leave my marriage. I'll step out. Hey, if I don't really like or appreciate the responsibility and the understanding of what it looks like to parent as God says to parent, that's just too much work, man. And I have a hard day at work and I can't come home and really give it my best. There's nothing godly there. It's the theme of what man-centered wisdom lends itself to is we are the most depressed over-medicated, anxious, in-debt society. Every one of those things at the core center is thinking about us. Every time I bring that pain into my life, it's because I make it about me, my will be done. There's two overflows. There's two overflows. And what does God want? God wants a beautiful, divine Overflow. I spent time trying to think about how I really view that in my mind. I have the privilege of getting to go to quite a few weddings. One season of life, getting to be a part of it. One of the things I always look for, it rarely happens, but one of the things that I really evaluate a wedding on is, is there a chocolate fondue fountain? Y'all know what I'm talking about? You have to know what I'm talking about. If not, the Springs is going to buy one and one week we'll put one out there. Where literally they melt chocolate, they put it in the bottom, and this chocolate, it percolates up to the top and it has this cascading effect. And then I can go and I like get my Hershey's chocolate and I put more chocolate on it. Or like for some reason, there's always marshmallows and sticks. Here's what I'm saying. Every time I see that, I love that. Guys, in a way, far more significant, far more important. Nowhere near as trivial as God wants us to overflow to come alive, to demonstrate what wisdom has done. It's personified in the love of others, but man, what it looks like. So what does wisdom from above include? Above, again, your Bible, as we look back in the text, your, your Bible there, it may say from heaven. If you remember before, we had this progression, right, from earthly, unspiritual, demonic, to where, again, you see a progression, but this time it's positive. First pure, then peaceable. You see this growing in grace. Pure that he's coming. It's, it's 
holy, peaceable. You know what that means. Marked by, marked by peace. Like is your house, is your home known for strife and contention and fighting? When your kids think of you and your marriage, is there this sense of, oh man, mom and dad are fighting again. Like you and your friends, are you the one where once they offend you, you write them off and no one is better at holding a grudge than you? That's not wisdom. That, that is demonic wisdom, excuse me. Not divine. Like are you one that doesn't love peace but creates dissension, gossip, slander? You, you go to talk to people about problems in your life, not because you're seeking counsel for the purpose of resolution, but because you're looking for someone to just make you feel better and validate your feelings. Peaceable is a mark of God's wisdom. It's gentle. Man, this is the one I most, I get myself in trouble with godly wisdom in a lot of different ways. Gentle. This would be the one my wife would say. Or when I come to meetings and people say something or, or somebody on staff, they, they disagree. And immediately, I feel the energy level rising up. Anybody ever play uh, Super Mario on original Nintendo? Anybody? Right? Okay. Quite a few people. If not, hopefully you'll get this. It's an iconic game. If not, you should check it out. Right? Super Mario, he goes along and he's just this regular guy. And then he gets, why it's a mushroom? I don't know. But if he gets a mushroom, he grows three sizes bigger and he essentially powers up. Every time some moment happens that I don't like, that frustrates me, that's out of my control, that I disagree with, I have this broken, instinctive, natural, dude, I just power up. And the first thing, first thing I have to do to tell myself is power down. God's known for being gentle. When Peter denied Jesus, Jesus made him breakfast. Am I known for that? I want to be. I really want to be. God wants you to be gentle. Open to reason is the next thing it says here. Open to reason. I know we all understand what that means, but it really helps me teasing out that. Open to reason. Submissive. Are you willing to follow someone else? In the same way before we referenced, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5, love does not insist on its own way. Are you the one where you are consistently known for deep stubbornness, right? And you cloak it with, but I'm always right. You cloak it with however you want. But are you known for deep stubbornness or are you open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit is the next section. How is wisdom full of mercy and good fruit? It's because wisdom knows mercy. Wisdom knows the fruit of God. It's impartial, it's, it's unwavering, without doubt, sincere. You don't have to worry where you stand with people who are wise. There's not a duplicity, there's not a hypocrisy. Yes, Christians, we sin. If you've come here because a Christian has really hurt you in the past, and in your heart you say, all of you are a bunch of hypocrites, you're hurtful, you're judgmental, you're condemning. Yes. 
but the real mark of faith is repentance. So as you go to cast that dispersion, to cast that doubt on people of faith, here's what I'm asking. The same people who hurt you, real faith would lead them to repentance. If you're not seeing that repentance, evaluate the faith based on someone else. Better yet, evaluate it based on Jesus, the only one who won't ever let you down because we will all let you down. Sincerity looks like more and more integrity. Growing up, one of the things that marked my personality, again, I referenced it to, to gentle, is I am a natural, and again, I'm doing a lot better than what I used to be, escalator. Right? What I mean by that is escalator. If, if conflict starts on a one to 10 scale at like a two, I have an amazing ability to make it like a six. Like I just come and pour gas on it. It's like, you want to go? Yeah, it's terrible. Right? I share that though. Is that really showed up when I was a kid? My parents love me. They're great. They're, they're peaceable. But it's one of those, I, like, like kids, because part of it's just childhood, but I was a punk, right? So a lot of times we'd come and we'd have discussions. I mean, my natural tendency was just push and push and push. To where all of a sudden my dad, he'd come and he'd say, hey, John, I know where this is going with you and your mom. It's not going to end well, bud. And I'd be like, nah, it's fine. Push, push. Next thing I know, man, mom's upset. I was wrong, totally wrong. I'm in trouble. I'm upset. It was just the way I handled conflict. Conflict for me ended with, hey, there was a winner and there was a loser. Whoever had the best argument, whoever could really do it right, there was a winner and there was a loser. It was all wrong and the other right. Man, that carried me through college, broken relationships, lack of disunity to where I'm ending school in anger and frustration with myself and with others. And I can remember I became a Christian changed me. I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. And I can remember going and connecting with people that began to open God's word and talk to me about the key theme that we see here, the key theme of making peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What do the wise do? They make peace. I, for the first time, and found a wisdom outside of myself. I, I didn't know any better, man. It was by the grace of others around me that could show me different. I can remember going home though. And there was a moment where I got cross with my dad as we were in the car driving somewhere. And I felt the sense of welling up and my dad braced for it, man, because he knew it was coming. And by only spirit of God, I powered down. Why? It was mostly out of desperation. I was so tired of having broken relationships and frustration. But I can remember powering down. And, and my wife now, she was in the car we were dating then. And my dad turns and he looks at her and he says, man, what have you done to this guy? This is totally different. Why? Because for the first time in my life, I wanted to be known for being gentle, not being right. I wanted God's wisdom, not my broken wisdom. Is that anything good in me? No. It's because he changed me and I want to live differently. That's why you see people who fight to make peace. That's why we talk so much about conflict here. Because peacefulness in the home, unity in the midst of a church body, it is in and of itself. You reap what you sow. And what do we want to sow? Peacefulness. Are there people in your life that when you see them, your stomach turns, there's tension, there's nervousness, that you think, oh, I don't want to go to that 
uh, baseball game because I may see that family. Hey, I don't know if I want to go to school and see that friend. Hey, that, that person in my community group, I love telling everybody else what's wrong with them besides them. That is not the wisdom of God. Wisdom of God makes peace. The legacy of demonic wisdom, it's pain. The legacy of divine wisdom, this humility-filled, driven pursuit of godliness, peace. You and I were called to be marked by wisdom. Wisdom comes in one of two places. It originates in only two places. It is either divine or it is demonic. It is either of God or from self. It is either his will or it is my will. Both of those, whichever one you choose, there is an effect. There is an overflow to them. There's two ways that it goes. And God is pleading with you as he's pleading with me. As he says, the faithful, those who walk by faith, those who endeavor to pursue holiness, be wise like God. Wisdom, man, how do we talk about what this really looks like? How do we pursue this? Because one of the things, and if you know your Bible well, it says, seek wisdom, pursue her. There's this active pursuit of everything. One of the major ways that I think that we really do this, it's one, biblical wisdom first comes from, it's knowing Jesus Christ. Wisdom has a name and his name is Jesus. What it looks like to have a relationship with him. Perhaps if you're like me and you grew up thinking, I have to do certain things so he'll like me. I have to be good enough so I can tip the scales of eternity in my favor. That's not it. That's not why he came. You and I were never good enough There is no Christian version of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That is demonic. Divine wisdom instead took the form of where God became man. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, and as he died, he thought of you, and he thought of me as he paid for every wrong thing I have done and will ever do. He really did rise from the grave three days later. And one day, he's coming back for you and for me. He loves you. Real wisdom begins with you must know that and believe that. If you're here and you're younger, that can't be a faith that your parents just instilled in you. This cultural idea, it's meant to be yours, individual, personal. If you're here and you've just been going to church your whole life and you never thought anything different of it, but when it comes to faith, there's this honest sense of, eh, that is not what he wants for you. That's not what he wants me. The second way, how do we pursue wisdom? I think it really comes in considering our priorities, our priorities. Here's what I mean by that. And I wish I had a great graphic for this. Most people, when it comes to making decisions, people intuitively, they run decisions through a grid, right? They run decisions based on how they think about things. Here, I'll show you what I mean. This is true of most people. You don't have to be Christian. The first thing they run, the, what do I do? right? To answer, what do I do? The first thing they examine is their emotions. How do I feel about it? From emotions, the next thing they examine experiences. Have I been through any past situations that can inform my present situation? Right? From experiences where they go is that they'll ask friends, right? They'll ask friends. And then for many, it stops 
there. They start with emotion, then they go to experience, then they go to, uh, I'm so sorry, counsel from others. That's not entirely wrong. Makes a ton of sense. You can ask people, you can get great counsel. Our feelings, sometimes they do dictate us in a right way, but oftentimes the wrong way. Wisdom looks like this. Effectively, you take that and you flip it on its head. To where the first thing, when it really comes, what would wisdom have me do? Is the first thing you begin to see is what does scripture say? You begin with what God has already said about something. The next thing you do is say, what would my community say? What do Christ followers around me in the area? Maybe it's not just black and white, explicit sin or not. Maybe it's just, hey, I'm newly married, just moved into an apartment, right? And we're trying to figure out, do we get a cat or a dog? Bible, speak to that man. Does your wife hate cats? I wouldn't get the cat, (laughs) right? Scripture, community, from there, experience the prudent. They see danger coming. But the simple go on, they suffer for it. And the final one, emotion. Your emotions are real, but they're not reliable. Knowledge says your emotion is real. Wisdom says your emotion is not reliable. So do you see how when it comes to how we approach everything in the world, what you and I feel, we oftentimes try to make it the primary thing that directs our life. I'm telling you, make it the last. Make it the last. There's no one better at self-sabotage than you and I. There's no one that brings more difficulty to you than you. So what do we do? As we think through, how do we apply wisdom in our life when it comes to decisions, when it comes to faithfulness, when it comes to counsel? First thing we do is we open God's word. Next thing we do is we come and we expand that circle and we say, what would God have me do? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. I want to be wise. Isolation never leads to blessing. Third thing, experience. Hey, what have other people walked through? What does it look like as we go? And then emotion. Your emotions aren't necessarily wrong but they can tend to take us in a wrong place. I'll close with this. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be marked by wisdom. Wisdom. This week, as I prepared for this one, it was a little bit of a a different week for me in thinking through how to do it. The story I'm gonna share here at the end, I did not plan to share, didn't think I would share up until right before. The reason for that is, I just don't quite know how to share it really well, to be honest. This week, my wife and I, we went in for a sonogram. My wife's pregnant. Would have been our first sonogram, right? Maybe 10 weeks. During the sonogram, we found out we lost the child about week six. Miscarriage. We have one baby. She's two years old. This would have been by the privilege and the grace of God, our second. So we're sitting there. It's Wednesday. There's this sonogram. The doctor begins to talk him through. He begins to examine the size, and immediately the tone in the room changes. It's one of those, we almost feel the proverbial, hey, writing on the wall and where it's going. Why did I plan on not sharing it? It's hard to talk about that, right? That's not because the suffering is unique to us. By God's grace, we've, we've welcomed other people. We've invited other folks in to help. And we've been overwhelmed at how consistent miscarriage is in the lives of families. It's not hard to talk about because you wonder, well, hey, is God good or is he not? No, he's good. But man, you never want that. Never. 
It's hard to talk about because when you come to talk about a miscarriage at 10 weeks, you know you're speaking to a crowd of where people who've lost children far out of the womb, in the womb, and families who plead for the privilege of pregnancy in the first place. But the reason I finally felt like God said, man, I would tell that is because the wisdom of my wife. This has been something that's obviously difficult for her. If you're wondering us, we're great. We don't need any food. Jesus loves us. We're going to be okay, right? I want to relieve all that emotional stress or pressure on you right now. It's okay. If you see us, give us a hug, but we're okay. My wife and I, one of the things that we've always fought to have a faith that would do is in the midst of difficulty, sing. In the midst of pain, sing. It's the heart and theme, if you remember at the very beginning of the book of James, that God is producing something even when I don't understand it, it's not how I trust him, even when I don't get it. But my wife this week, and rightly so, guys, we are not those who mourn without hope, but that doesn't mean we don't mourn. It was harder to sing. It's harder to celebrate. My wife, throughout the week, she was telling me about this playlist. It's on Spotify. She's got this friends of hers who has this playlist. And this playlist intention, and I didn't understand it, so I started hearing a few of these songs. Its intention is to remind you that God is good, that God is right, that God is true. Even when you don't feel it. Even when you don't want to sing it. And what this playlist is meant to do is it means to come over you. And when you can't sing, it sings for you by way of reminder. I got to see my wife in the wisdom of God who, yes, experiences pain and there's sadness in that in the same way you have sadness in your life. And as that sadness begins to creep on her with the questions of, man, we gotta start trying for another season. Wait, we've already had difficulty with one kid. What does this look like? Why does this continue? All the way to fighting for, but I know you love me. I know you died for me. I know that you're good. I know that one day you're gonna make all things new, that the difficulty and the pain of this world will be new. I won't have to worry about how I turn to in the midst of tragedy because I'll just look at you and there will be no tragedy. And I got to see her in wisdom out of a love for Christ fight to say, when I can't sing, I'll make sure someone else sings over me. Why does she do that? Of course, it's for comfort. Of course, it's part of mourning. Of course, it's part of grieving, even though nobody really knows how to grieve that. But ultimately, it's because she's met wisdom. And his name is Jesus, and he changed her. She's not the same person. She knows walking by faith is what leads to life, even though in this world, we will face death. Wisdom is meant to be a mark of God's people. Not because my wife is a super saint, but because in tragedy, my wife remembered that God in heaven loves her. I got to see her marked by wisdom. Church, you and I are meant to be marked by the same thing. We have the greatest news that's ever been given with the greatest love that's ever been demonstrated. From that love, we are meant to walk in wisdom. Let me pray that we would do that. We'll get out of here. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the chance to come and gather to talk about you, to remind ourselves 
what's true. God, I'm asking for your help. That is your people who know you, know the source of wisdom, who have your word. That man, that we would walk in it. That I would be known for it, that we would be known by it. Not just, not just knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up, but we would rightly apply it. We'd have discerning spirits. Would you help that to be true? Father, I do pray too for folks here wrestling with you and what it looks like to have faith in you that we would consider they'd look to you in a new way. We give you this day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, we're so glad you came to, you came to hang out with us. We hope it's a spring break week. You guys go. You have a wonderful spring break if that's something your family has a part of a plan for. But whatever you do, we pray. Y'all go. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next Sunday.